Today on Living in the Word with Dr. Gary Yates. So to understand again what this new covenant is about, there's, uh, there's this tension between renewal of something that already exists and something that is radically new in things that are present in a, in a different way. Hi, I'm Gary Yates, the pastor of Living Word Baptist Church in Forest, Virginia. Uh, we are continuing our study of the biblical covenants in this last segment, looking at the new covenant building on our presentation from last time. And, and you remember, we saw then that the key passage for the new covenant is found in Jeremiah chapter 31, verses 31 to 34. God will erase the sins of the failure, and God will give a new enablement and a new ability for his people to obey him. The new covenant is what takes the story of failure in the Bible and turns it into a message of hope. It's a message of hope for Israel, but it's also a message of hope for us because this is what we inherit. This is what we receive. This is what is activated in our lives when we come to know Jesus. Now, Jeremiah 31 is the only passage that specifically uses the terminology new covenant, but there are other prophetic texts that use different language, different terminology to refer essentially to the same thing. In fact, one of these is even found in the same context as Jeremiah 31. We flip over one chapter to Jeremiah chapter 32, verses 37 to 40. When you read this text, you realize that obviously he's talking about the exact same covenant or the same arrangement back in chapter 31, but now he uses the terminology of an everlasting covenant because this will be something enduring, perpetual, and continual uh, in his relationship with his people. So here's what um, the Lord says in this, this passage in Jeremiah 32, verses 37 to 40. God says, Behold, I will gather them from all the countries to which I drove them in my anger and my wrath and in great indignation. I will bring them back to this place, and I will make them dwell in safety. So the, 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 the restoration will involve them coming back to the promised land. And then, verse 38, They will be my people, I will be their God, and I will give them one heart and one way that they may fear me forever for their own good and for the good of their children after them. I will make with them, here's the terminology, an everlasting covenant, and I will not turn away from doing good to them. And I will put the fear of me in their hearts that they may not turn from me. So everlasting covenant, but the same essential idea, God would do something in the hearts of his people that would guarantee their perpetual faithfulness and obedience. Now, we see something very similar when we turn over to Isaiah. In Isaiah chapter 54, verses 8 to 10, in this context of God bringing his people back from exile, and the Lord says this in verse, 54, or in verse 8 of chapter 54, In overflowing anger for a moment I hid my face from you, but with everlasting love I will have compassion on you, says the Lord your Redeemer. The Lord is not giving up on this relationship with Israel because of his compassion and love for them. And verse 10 says, For the mountains may depart and the hills may be removed, but my steadfast love shall not depart from you, and my covenant of peace shall not be removed, says the Lord who has compassion on you. So here, the covenant is referred to as a covenant of peace because of the peace that would exist between God and his people. This is the new covenant, but it's also a continuation of of the covenant that he's had with his people Israel from the very beginning. 
Now, if we go over to the prophet uh, Ezekiel and we look to Ezekiel chapter 37, uh, again, uh, kind of different language and different ideas, but, are, but are, that are basically saying the same thing. And, and we read in chapter 37, verse 26, the future restoration of Israel will involve this. I will make a covenant of peace with them, says the Lord. So again, this terminology, covenant of peace, and it shall be an everlasting covenant with them. Same, same language terminology that Isaiah has already used. And it says there, I will set them in their land and multiply and will set my sanctuary in their midst forever. So a restored relationship. My dwelling place will be with them. I will be their God. They shall be my people. And then the nations will know that I am the Lord who sanctifies Israel when my sanctuary is in their midst forever. So it's this covenant of peace, this everlasting covenant that enables uh, Israel and the relationship with God uh, to be fully restored. The prophets here uh, are promising uh, a new covenant, but it's actually not a completely brand new covenant. So I'd, I'd like us to look at this idea. A new covenant in some ways actually means here a renewal of the old covenant that has already existed. It's not just completely a brand new thing, but it's a renewal of the old covenant that works and operates in radically new ways. So uh, there's, there's a balance here. There's a, there's a renewal of the past, but there's also something that is radically new and different. And I think Mark Boda gives us a really helpful clarification here. He says, the covenant that is being established remains the Mosaic Sinaitic covenant, but the newness arises from the, quote, radically new means, end quote, by which the covenant will be administered. And, and so this covenant is not just something brand new. It's a renewed covenant because it's still the covenant between God and Israel. <laughs> the same parties are involved in the covenant. The covenant is also a renewal of the, of, the, of the previously existing covenant because it's built upon the same law as the Mosaic covenant. God is not empowering them to obey a new set of commandments. He will em enable them to obey the Torah, the law that God gave to Moses on Mount Sinai, the law that is recorded in Exodus, Leviticus, and Deuteronomy, that's still the law at work here that, that underlies the covenant. There's also more the idea of a renewed covenant than something that is completely new, because even the things in this covenant that are game changers in the relationship between God and his people are things that were already present to some extent in the people's relationship with God and in the old covenant that goes all the way back to the days of Moses. Walter Kaiser, when he writes about this, he says, uh, almost three-fourths of the contents revealed in the new covenant are already present in the old covenant. So there's, there's renewal and, and, and most of this somewhat repeated and, and reaffirmed. Daniel Block even says that none of the features of the new covenant were, quote, absolutely new. And then he says, and that everything promised in the new covenant had already been promised in the old. So to understand again what this new covenant is about, there's, uh, there's this tension between renewal of something that already exists and something that is radically new in things that are present in a, in a different way. So here's, here's how this works. 
the way that everyone in this new covenant would know the Lord um, personally and directly is something radically new in the new covenant. It's, it's not going to be mediated as much through priests and through prophets. But this life-changing knowledge of God was something that was real and already available in the old covenant. And, and my favorite passage in the, in the whole Old Testament is what's found about this knowledge of God in Jeremiah chapter 9, verses 23 to 24. The Lord says, Let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. But let him who boasts boast in this, that he understands and knows me. So it was possible in this old covenant that Jeremiah lived under for people to know the Lord. And then he says that, you know, boast in the fact that you know and understand me and that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness uh, on the earth. So old covenant believers could know the Lord in a personal way. And, and they could know those attributes of justice and righteousness because God had revealed them to him. Jeremiah twenty two sixteen, a verse that I think is related, says that Josiah the king practiced justice and righteousness toward the poor and the needy because he really, truly knew the Lord. So people in the Old Covenant knew God, but in this New Covenant, there would be greater knowledge for everyone, but, but there was still a personal knowledge of God in the Old Covenant as well. Um, another radically new element is that it's radically new that God will be writing the law on the hearts of his people, on all of them. Uh, it will not be like it was in the days of the Exodus, but the law had been written on the hearts of true believers in the old covenant as well. Those that really knew the Lord, the problem is all of the people within this national covenant that did not know God in a truly personal way. So going back to the Old Covenant, Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 5 and 6, the Lord gives this command. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. So if God is giving them this command, and Deuteronomy is a book that talks about obeying God from the heart, God can't give them this command unless there's an ability and capacity in the covenant that they live under to obey and follow what the Lord says. Deuteronomy 10, 16, circumcise your hearts and deal with your, the, the stubborn rebellion that keeps you from obeying. So again, this is something they can do, they should be doing in the old covenant. God's giving them the power to do that. Now, there is a promise for the, in the future that when they go into exile, God will circumcise their hearts, Deuteronomy 36, chapter 30, verse 6. But if they couldn't do that under the old covenant, then why would God command them to do something that was impossible for them? God is, God is not setting his people up for failure here. Ezekiel eleven eighteen, the Lord says, get yourself a new heart so that you can obey him. That's a new covenant promise but it's something that should also be an old covenant reality. If you go over to the New Testament and you look at John chapter 3, when Jesus tells Nicodemus, you must be born again to enter the kingdom. And remember, Nicodemus is confused about that. He doesn't understand it. Jesus responds to him by, by saying, you mean to tell me that you're a teacher of Israel, you're schooled in the old covenant, and you don't understand what this is all about? 
This is what God's relationship and covenant with Israel had been like from the very beginning. It would take the new covenant and this radically new way that God was doing this to make it real for everybody. The remnant had experienced it in the old covenant. The entire covenant community, everyone will know the Lord and experience that in the new covenant. So if they had not been able to love and obey the Lord from their hearts in the old covenant, then I I don't think that we would have a book like Deuteronomy in the Old Testament. In Psalm 119, David says over and over again, Lord, I love your law. I delight in it. I treasure your commandments. That's something that's coming truly from the heart. David even says in Psalm 40, verse 8, I delight to do your will, O God. Your law is in my heart. It's not just something that's coming from the outside, or it's not just conformity to an external set of standards. He, he delights, and the law is in his heart, and that sounds pretty New Covenantish, because that's what God did in the lives of true believers in the Old Covenant. David didn't love the Lord or love the law or have the law written on his heart in his own strength. This was something that God, through the Holy Spirit, had done in his work in his life as a work. Um, and, and David, uh, I think, reflects this in Psalm 51 as well. David says, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. I, I think that verse reflects for us the Holy Spirit regenerated and empowered, and, and I think even possibly indwelled true believers to obey the Lord. What's radically new in the new covenant is that God will make this possible for everyone, everyone who's a part of the community. There would no longer be lost people within the covenant between God and his people, and this capacity and ability would be there for everyone. The things that would be radically new that God was doing for his people, this this radical knowledge of God, Uh, This radical way that everyone would be a part of the people of God, everyone who's a part of the people of God would be, you know, uh, enabled to know the Lord in this way. Everyone who knows God will have the law written on the heart. Those things that are promised, these radically new things, are what we have through Christ. In the New Testament, Peter says in 2 Peter chapter 1, that we have been given all things pertaining to life and godliness. And I think this knowledge of God, this love of God, this ability to to obey God from the heart, those are the things that God has given to us. These are the blessings of the new covenant that we enjoy through.